G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. It's better that you take one truth and get it firmly planted into your life than to hear five truths, none of which ever make it into your spiritual constitution. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining me for the last sermon in the Pumped series, based on passages of Scripture that really get Pastor Jeff pumped up. He's recapping some of the recent principles we've looked at in the Bible, and he's encouraging us to commit to applying these teachings to our lives today. Pastor Jeff shares from Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there. Let's start now with Pastor Jeff's message on Today with Jeff Vines. All right, uh, turning your Bibles, if you would, over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. One verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and uh, we're in this series called Pumped, and uh, we've named it appropriately because there are some passages of Scripture that uh, just pump us up. It might be a complete narrative, one verse, it might be an entire story, a chapter, whatever, but there are some passages of Scripture that we've said, once you get them into you, once you truly understand what God is trying to say to you, then everything changes. You cannot possibly remain the same, and it's supposed to pump you up, get you fired up for the possibility of living an extraordinary life. Now, as we come to this verse, uh, just want to uh, kind of mention a few things. First of all, uh, there are times that as a senior pastor, I like to come out, sit on a stool and have a, it, it's like a family talk, but rather than trying to stand and be an orator and to deliver something, sometimes I just want to sit like a father would around uh, the kitchen table with his children and talk to them and say, Hey, I want to remind you of something. And the thing I want to remind you of has a lot to do with this passage that pumps me up. And it's that God did not call you to live a, a, a mediocre life. It, mediocrity is not part of what God has for you, and it's not part of what God has for this church. And accordingly, then the passage that I've chosen, or a passage that pumps me up in the last installment of the series, goes like this, Philippians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now let me read it again. There's somebody who is able to do immeasurably more than all we would ever ask or imagine And it's according to the power that is at work within us. I remember when I was growing up listening to Charles Swindoll and and, uh, Charles Stanley back to back on our Christian radio station in my hometown. And I remember a statement, you know, how do you remember statements 25 years ago? But I remember a statement Chuck Swindoll made, I've never forgotten. He said this, he said, it's better 
that you take one truth and get it firmly planted into your life than to hear five truths, none of which ever make it into your spiritual constitution. It's better to just get one in there rather than keep hearing truth after truth after truth and nothing ever makes it on the inside. This is the battle or the struggle with our faith. Think about it. You've heard so many truths. If you grew up in this church, you've, I mean, you've heard sermons by Ron Keller, Chuck Boer, and now Jeff Vines, and they, you hear truth all the time. How many of those really make it into your life? And so this passage reminds me that if we could just get one or two truths into our lives that would pump us up, it could change everything. Now, I don't want to leave this pumped series without us making a commitment, uh, not only to have gone through it, but to say, you know, I'm going to take these principles and I'm going to get them into my life. This is going to be real to me because I want to live an extraordinary life. And I know that God has an extraordinary purpose for me. And I know that our church is not mediocre, that God has brought too many talented people across our path to say that God wants mediocrity for us. He wants us to accomplish some amazing things. So he's brought an amazing staff, amazing people with amazing talents. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. A simple message. I want to ask you to make a commitment to do four things based on this series. Here's the first. Will you serve the God of closed doors? Will you make a commitment that you're going to serve a God of closed doors? Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they finally said to the king, Oh, king, even if God does not save us and we are thrown into the fiery furnace, we're still not going to bow down to these false gods. And will you be like them and say, I'm going to serve. If nothing turns out the way I think it should, if God closes doors, I thought he should have opened. If he opens doors, I thought he should have closed. I am still going to serve the God of open and closed doors. That first week or second week when we were in the series, we had this door and I illustrated to you that there are going to be times in your life where you, you want to so desperately to walk through a door. Everybody's had dreams, guys, everybody. My dream when I was younger, I'm telling you, I, I was automatically convinced that I was going to be an NBA basketball player. I, my mom told me I would be. You know, uh, my, Everybody in my small hometown told me that I was the greatest thing ever. And I was convinced, and I would actually uh, do what most people do. I would pray that God would give me all the necessary talents and abilities to become an NBA basketball player. It looked good for a while. It really did. And then... It didn't look so good, especially when the, when the big fish in the small pond goes to the big pond and you start to realize you're not that good. Now that's painful. And then all of a sudden you go through this thing like, man, God, it's like, where are you? You've kind of led me down this path. I thought this was what was going to happen. Of course, I look back now and I think God never had an intention for me to go that far. But if it meant that by drawing me into relationship with him, he gave me a little hint that possibly it could happen if I would keep going to him. Just by the fact that I keep going to him, I'd get to know him. And in getting to know him, I would have to come to a conclusion at some point in my life that I was okay for God to close doors. And I was still going to serve him. See, everybody in the room has a dream. You have something that you want to get God involved in. And you're praying that God will open a door. And when he holds it tight on the other end, like we said in the series, when he holds it closed, you keep forcing it down. Because you're convinced that unless you get through this door, your life is not going to be satisfactory or fulfilling. It's going to be mediocre. When in reality, God holds the door because he knows that if he opens that door, you're going to be destroyed. You got to make up your mind. Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to trust your own sense of wisdom and understanding? There are some of you in the room that you have high hopes of God doing something great in your life. It could be, I want to get married. I'm single, but I know God's going to give me a wife or a husband. It could be, I know God's going to give me this occupation or this job. For a lot of people today, man, uh, 
The reality, though, is there's a lot of young women that have been praying for a long time for a child that will never, never be given a child. Is it because God doesn't love them? No, we, nobody really knows exactly why. All we know, you've got to be willing to say yes to the God who opens and closes doors. You've got to take for granted he knows what's on the other side. Some of you want to be famous. Let's just be honest. Some of you want to be famous. You say, man, I've got this great talent and I want everybody to hear me. And I want everybody to, to, to look at how uh, God has gifted me. And that's the language you use. And God is going to one day make me this, this fa- fantastic person that stands on stages everywhere in the world and people are going to hear me. And what I have to ask you is this. It may be true, but what if it isn't? What if I told you right now, you're going to get to a point in your life and you're going to try to open that door and you've come a long way and all of a sudden you, you realize the door is closed? Are you going to stop worshiping him? Are you going to stop serving him because he didn't give you what you thought you deserved or entitled to? You got to make a commitment. If you're going to live, a, if you're going to live above a mediocre life, somewhere along the way, you've got to make a commitment that you're going to serve the God of opening closed doors and admit that your whole life is about divine romance, God wooing you into relationship with him, and that he is going to often strip away your lesser loves until your greatest satisfaction is in him. And anything in your life that stands in the way of God, as long as you're trying to get God involved with the things you think will save you, God will still hold those doors closed. And you've got to make up your mind. Are you still going to serve? Are you still going to love? Are you still going to worship? I look back now and man, I'm glad I didn't become a professional basketball player. I can't imagine it would be anything like the life I have now. And the same is true for you. You've got to trust that what he has for you is actually better than what you want for yourself. It comes down to the point, do you trust God and his goodness, no matter what it is. You're with me. You may lose somebody that's close to you. Be angry at God. That's a closed door where you'll still serve him, even though you don't understand or don't know why. You got to make up your mind. And if we're going to live above mediocrity, this church and you as an individual, if we're going to do something great, you got to let God be God. And you've got to decide that the most important thing as we said a few weeks ago, that God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. Your greatest satisfaction has to be in him to the point that you're willing to lose everything else. Wow. When you get to that point, then you are positioned to be used dramatically by God, trusting that God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine through opened and closed doors. We also said just quickly that sometimes God will send you through a door that you don't really want to go into. Now, this is the hard one. He opens a door and you have no intentions of going through, but you are, you, you go through because you're submissive. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to go through the fiery furnace, but that's where they met Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? No furnace, no Jesus. Sometimes you're going to have to go through difficult times in your life. You're going to have to embrace them. Not kick and scream, but say, you know what? I serve a God who's trying to strip me of the lesser love so that my greatest satisfaction will be in him. Therefore, God, if you want me to go through this door of pain and suffering, I'm going to walk through it. Man, <laughs> that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Who, who's ever prayed, God, send me into pain and suffering so I may know you better? Who prays that prayer? Nobody prays that prayer. And I don't think God wants you to pray that prayer, but he, what he does want you to do is respond as if you really believe it. Here's the second question. Remember, this is in the context. Are we going to live an extraordinary life, be an extraordinary church? Then we need a a bunch of extraordinary people who will serve the God of closed doors. Number two, will you seek and accept hiding people? See, we talk a good game in this area, but I still don't think we're there yet because I still hear comments. I still see people responding to people who are not like them in a negative way. You know, we bring the potato heads out. Uh, We've done that a lot during this series. And as I've said a few weeks ago, they're saved now. We baptized them. So they're part of us. 
But remember what we've said. This is so important. And I, I'm, I'm determined to do this until you can do it. Everybody in our church can say, hey, I've got these little potato heads. Let me show you what our church is about. And we've said that it's not us and sin against God. It's us and God against sin. And we've said that until the power of the Holy Spirit comes inside a person, he doesn't have or she doesn't have the power to defeat this guy. So when this guy says, let me have your eyes to look at things you shouldn't look at, if you don't have the power of new life in you, it's difficult, if not impossible, to do the good. I'm not saying that if somebody's not saved, they can never do anything that's righteous or good. I'm telling you that the evil one knows your temptation and he goes for the jugular and without the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever that temptation is, your eyes, what you read, what you look at, what you speak, what you hear, where you go, what you do, whatever it is, whatever it is, that's the thing he'll go for. And without the power of the Holy Spirit in you, it's very difficult to live a Christ-like life. Jesus knew that. Why do you think he sent you the Holy Spirit? Why do you think there's greater expectations for people in the New Testament than the Old Testament? You have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in you. But please remember, other people don't. Hey, you have the Spirit and you don't even act right all the time yourself. So why would you expect someone who has not received the Spirit of God to conform to your sense of morality? See, until our church, until every individual, wherever they are in the community, in the world, wherever they are, receives people and makes the commitment that they're going to seek and accept. Notice, they're going to seek hiding people, but they're going to accept them as they are, knowing that God won't leave them and, and won't, uh, won't allow them to remain as they are. But that change is up to him and his spirit in them, not you. Hey, do you remember the story? Uh, you know, there's a couple of stories in the Bible that kind of are the culture of CCV. John 21 is one of them. A great story about uh, what God expects from us, that we love him uh, above everything, that we sacrifice everything for him, that we follow him wherever he leads. I've preached that message many times. And then the other one, I guess, if there's two passages that describe our church, the other one is Matthew 15, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. And it's a story where Jesus goes up to Tyre and Sidon with the disciples and they meet a Canaanite woman. And to the disciples, she's the very bottom of the spiritual barrel. They don't, they don't even want to give her any, any time. They're on vacation. She comes up and she just wants Jesus to heal her daughter who's very, very ill. And what do the disciples do? These guys just aren't getting Jesus' heart for people. And so what do they do? They say, send her away. She's bothering us. Can you imagine that? But the problem is in the passage, Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Send her away. He doesn't answer one word. He just ignores the woman, which is not like Jesus. And then the conversation moves on. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, you know, she's not one of us. Send her away. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, in other places, Jesus was clear. He said, you know, uh, at the end of time, uh, when the kingdom of heaven becomes a reality here on the earth, he says, there'll be people from the east and the west. There'll be a great banquet table and the west symbolized barbarians. So there'll be people from the east and the west from all civilization, from all walks of life will be around the table of God. And also he healed the Roman centurion's son. Remember, he didn't tell the Roman centurion, hey, I wasn't come for your kind. And the Romans were ruling the Jews with an iron fist. Point is, what's Jesus up to? First, he ignores her. Second, what does he do? He says, I wasn't sent for your kind. You can imagine why scholars struggle with this. And then the third part of it is when Jesus looks at her after she gets down on her knees and begs him and says, Lord, please, Jesus says what? It's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs. So he ignores her. Secondly, he tells her he wasn't sent for her kind. And third, he calls her a dog. Now in the Greek, he uses the diminutive form of dog. So he calls her a little doggy. And she picks up on that 
And so her response to Jesus is, yeah, but even the master gives the little crummies, the little crummies that fall from the master's table to the little doggies. What's happening in that passage is Jesus is tired of dispensing information to the disciples and they're just not getting it. So he puts them in a life experience. And if you read the passage in the original language, you see this bantering going between Jesus and the woman. As a matter of fact, Jesus will tell the woman after the story, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in Israel. Oh woman, your faith is is great. It's mega faith. Mega mall, mega church, mega faith. And uh, the reason he does that is because she allowed Jesus to banter back and forth with her while Jesus was teaching the disciples a lesson. He was hoping that some of the disciples would say, wait a minute. I mean, Jesus, okay, fine, we're on vacation, but really just ignore her? All right, we're on vacation, but really just tell her that you weren't sent for her kind? That's a bit harsh. And call her a dog? But the disciples never spoke up because they still haven't learned the lesson. And I challenge you that most churches have not learned the lesson as well. What does Jesus have to do to show you that his heart is for people far from God and that people matter to God? And that stop expecting them to live up to your standards. You don't even live up to your standards. I mean, I know you try and the Holy Spirit gives you power to have victory from time to time. And hopefully the older you get, the stronger you get. That doesn't always happen either. So if there's somebody that's far from God, man, the calling on the, the, the life of our church, wherever you are, the calling on your life, the calling on your life is the same. And that calling, man, is that you desperately seek after people who are hiding and you receive and accept them as they are and let God do the transformational work of the spirit. So we go after all people, right? And let me say it again. So am I assuming that it would not matter who walked into this place, they would be received? Obviously, if you had somebody come in here and they were disruptive, you know, if they run around trying to disrupt the sermon time or something like important like that, you know, then we might do something. But you know what I mean? Whoever walks in that doesn't look like we do, talk like we do, dress like we do, wait, that's not going to bother you. You expect that. And you're actually going to say, welcome home. This is fantastic that you're here. I'm challenging you. Will you serve the God of closed doors? Will you seek and accept hiding people? Will you do what we said that Jesus did with Zacchaeus? And the thief on the cross, will you be aware? Will you be available? And will you acknowledge that you're plan A and there's no plan B? You're the hope of the world. That person you think is so far from God, you may be the very person that God sent across their path to bring them near. And if you shun them, how are we any better than those disciples that were so thick-headed? And by the way, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Because when the day of Pentecost came and Jesus ascended, they did receive the Holy Spirit. They got it. So you should get it now. By the way, notice the difference. You can be aware, but that's just pity. You know, if, if you're just aware of hiding people, you've not really done anything except acknowledge they're there, but that's just pity. You don't move into mercy until you make yourself available. And when you make yourself available, then you become like Christ, compassionate, aware, available. And I'll I'll guarantee you, Jesus acknowledged that he was plan A and there was no plan B. Do you? Will you trust that when you invest in people, God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask for, hope for, or imagine? Now, here's the third question. Will you remind yourself daily that you've been moved to a higher order of living? Will you remind yourself now in the parable that we talked about, the mustard seed? And uh, I I use the illustration that there's a mustard seed and a slab of concrete and I smash them together. Who wins? The concrete. But the seed, if it goes under the concrete, 
Because it's organic life filled with organic chemical constructs, it will begin to grow and break apart the concrete until it blossoms into something beautiful. The Bible says that you've been changed to a higher order of living, that your sense of awareness is greater than plant life, animal life, and the old man that used to be. You see things now. Your perception is greater than it's ever been. Divine realities are part of what you see, which means you're supposed to see the divine reality that people are lost far from God, and you're going to do whatever it takes to get them near even if it means giving up your very life. So your sense of awareness and your sense of volition, do you remind yourself every day when you face the temptation that you know is destroying you? Do you remind yourself that you don't have to succumb to it, that you're no longer a slave to sin, it is no longer your master, but now you have this ability to do the good that you want to do? Do you self-talk? Do you talk to yourself? Do you say to yourself, whoa, whoa. As a matter of fact, let me, let me tell you, share something personal with you quickly. There's things that we all, there are things we all struggle with. I have the one thing in my life. I've never told you what it is, but I've admitted that I have the one thing. We all do. Now I have more than one thing, but the one thing. The one thing is the thing that every time I'm about to make progress in my spiritual life or my relationship with Jesus, the one thing is the thing the devil comes after. Okay, there is one thing. He knows what it is in your life. He knows what it is and he'll wait and hide until it's right time to bring it out to destroy you. Now, I told you about a couple months ago that I have learned a way to defeat this thing. Finally, what, only what, 35, 40 years of being a Christian? (laughs) I have learned to talk to myself. And here's what I say. Jeff, if you do this thing, God will forgive you because he's a God of grace and mercy. And that's true. But you may forfeit God's willingness to use you to the degree he had planned on using you if you had said no to that thing. See, God forgives you in your fellow grace, but every time you fail, every time you blow it, you move one step closer. God says, man, Jeff, I love you. Pastor Jeff, I love you. You're one of mine, but I can't use you in this realm anymore because if I use you the way I want to use you, one day people are going to find out about this and it's going to hurt my kingdom. You got me? Will you make a decision that you'll remind yourself daily that there's something inside you and it's oozing power. It's not just explosive where one day you're a Christ follower or one day you're resisting Jesus. Next day you're a Christ follower and boom, you're Superman all of a sudden. No, it's something that grows up in you. Will you admit that it's growing and it's growing and will you also admit that it's activated by the word of God? See, this is the key. This is what we've learned. There's the divine nature. You're aware, you see things you've never seen. You volition, you do things you've never done. And then there's a sense of innervation. You feel God the way you've never felt him. But you activate all that through the divine word, the logos, your life philosophy, the words of scripture. That's why I'm begging every single one of you on every campus online to get into rooted. Rooted is that thing that's going to remind you of the depth of the word of God and how it speaks to every aspect of your life. And if you'll get involved in it and you'll allow it to do its work, after you've gone through the 10 weeks, it's beautiful. The divine nature then activates the divine spark in you that's lit by the divine word to give you the right word, the right time, and the right place for any victory, to conquer any obstacle, and to live a life that is extraordinary beyond mediocrity. You with me? But without the word, the spirit has nothing to fire up, to to spark, to light the fire. Man, in heaven's name, this thing has come along. It could change our entire church, our community, our world. In heaven's name, take advantage of the opportunity. Remind yourself there's something in you that's got to be, that's got to come alive again. That's got to be fired up again. And that thing is the word of God. Get in rooted in heaven's name for the sake of the kingdom. Give up 10 weeks, one night, 
of those 10 weeks for the sake of reigniting the divine spark that you might connect again with the divine nature and that God would do his work in you. If we're going to live above mediocrity, if we're going to have extraordinary lives, then you've got to serve the God of closed doors. Serve him even when you don't like how things ended up. You've got to seek and accept hiding people. Go after, go hard after them and accept who they are and let God do the transformation. You've got to remind yourself daily that you've been moved to a higher order of living. You see things you've never seen. You're able to do things you've never done and you're able to feel things you've never felt. And then fourth and finally, and it has to do with forgiveness. Here's the fourth question. Will you forgive others as Christ has forgiven you? Thanks for joining me on today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of this message from Pastor Jeff and the end of this series. Next time, join me for a new series of messages from Pastor Jeff. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.